A big warm welcome to you all for episode 137 of the Doss and D Show, and today's episode is like nothing we've had before, as we welcome survival expert, TV presenter, and action movie stunt double, Kai Ferno. Kai is a woman of many talents, and there were so many avenues we went down in this astonishing chat. Kai is a world leader in survival and knows all the tricks in the book to survive in extreme conditions. We picked her brain on what to do when faced in life-threatening outdoor situations and the key elements to staying alive. But not only that, Kai has featured on numerous occasions on Discovery's hit TV program, Naked and Afraid. The premise? To survive 21 days with a total stranger, absolutely naked, with only one item at your disposal. You won't believe the stories Kai shares on that one. Stay tuned for that. For 16 years, Kai also worked in Hollywood as a leading stunt woman, and how's this for a CV? Amongst over 100 blockbuster movies she has been a part of are The Avengers, Pirates of the Caribbean, White Chicks, Scooby-Doo, Thor, 2012, X-Men, and Snakes on a Plane. Kai shared what those experiences were like, how to get into the industry, secrets from being on the set, and what it's like to work with actors like Hugh Jackman, Chris Hemsworth, Anne Hathaway, Sharon Stone, and many more. This episode had absolutely everything. Now, before we get started, guys, make sure to hit that follow and subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. It helps us tremendously. All right, are you ready? It's time to go extreme with our guest today, Kai Ferno. Well, Doss, this could be one of the more fascinating chats we've had on this podcast. We're sitting across from a woman of many, many talents, and I can't wait to get stuck in. Kai Ferno, welcome to the Doss and D Show. Thank you so much. We were just chatting before. I don't think I've been this excited for an interview based on how curious I am, because what you do or what you've done throughout your career, I don't know where to start. We talked about wanting to start more or less around you being the survival expert, but being the stunt woman and the TV presenter and doing so many incredible things. Where should we start? I reckon let's get into survival expert because we're sitting across from, I don't reckon Kai should be modest. Australia's best survival expert is in the room with us. So let's start there. Kai, how did it all even begin? How did you get into that field? You know, growing up in the outback of SA, really. I mean, I think that you've got to be pretty tough to survive when you grow up in those sort of places the second you step out the door you know you you've got the snakes you've got the spiders you know you've got everything that you have to contend with so I think you sort of grow up a bit of a survival expert if you're growing up in uh, the outdoors in Australia but I just sort of developed a passion for being outdoors and it was always where my heart soars where I feel most at home and definitely my first love so it sort of started there yeah and then were you did you grow up on farmland or anything like that where you I know you say you're outdoors but the attraction to wanting to I guess find a way to to be on your own and stand on your own doing the shows and things that you've done like where, where does that come from like how does an opportunity like that arise or is it a challenge that you go to yourself at a young age I want to try and learn to do this without having access to ABC and like where does that even begin it's pretty <sighs> yeah I mean it's a really good question because I mean I I quite often question it myself you know I mean I think I've got a really stubborn personality and I think I really like to see how far to push things, you know. So when I'm like, well, I could go out without a tent, I'm like, what else could I go out without, you know. <laughs> like, and eventually yeah. you go out with nothing, you know what I mean. And then you, you have all those sort of challenges and honestly I think it's part the the mind over matter, you know, like I love problem solving. I love being out there and just being flexible to do or be anything without the like rigidity of being, okay, well, I have to sleep in a tent. I'm like, wow, what if I sleep in this hollow log? You know what I mean? (laughs) I just, I like the, I like the experimentation of it. I like the freedom of it. And, you know, I'm a a raging introvert. So I kind of like, there's no people there. 
awesome. <laughs> Isolation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I can manage people and obviously the careers I've chosen have been what extroverts would probably probably choose. But my, I like my favorite time is just being alone in the middle of the bush with nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any early memories of perhaps like where you actually made the decision to go and do something like that? So you, you spoke about, okay, well, sleeping in a tent versus sleeping in a hollow log. Do you remember the first time you perhaps went, you know, outside of that square? Well, I mean, I was a bit of a dork in school, I think, you know. We, oh, really? We were, like a friend and I would just build cubby houses everywhere, you know, and, and it sounds really strange, but, you know, people off on the weekends probably like drinking and smoking when they were like 13, 14, and we were just like, let's see if we could build a cubby here. And then eventually <laughs> we just sort of slept in them, you know, we made palaces out in the pine forest. And uh, so, I mean, I think I always, I loved doing it from that age, but then I was an outdoor guide for a lot of years. So I had the gear and I probably wouldn't have thought about going out with nothing until after stunts, you know, like once I was sort of looking at getting out of stunt work, I was looking at more extreme interactions with the outdoors and I sort of just headed off across the Sierra Nevadas with a pocket knife um, 100 miles just from, you know, west to east to see what would happen. Wow. So does the, I guess with, if the stunts are first, does that intrigue to want to now go out and, and go solo in that isolation, uh, I guess, where the, wherever you are, does that come from the risk and probably the physical toll that stunt doubling did? Does that make you all of a sudden go, well, if I can, if I can do that, well, I think I'll be fine going out into the wilderness all the while by myself with limited things to, to survive. Does it come from that? I mean, I, I think the ability to face your fears definitely got heightened through doing stunts. Like outdoors was my first love, then stunts sort of came in the middle, but the extreme survival came after stunts for sure. And it, it is this, like I have this constant debate with my dad because my dad's like, of course you're scared of stuff. And I'm like, hmm, like, but I'm not anymore. And I think... Either my adrenals just fired far too many times and my body's like, there is no adrenaline left here. Or I just like I just feel pretty calm when when I'm in a situation that probably a lot of people would be fearful of. Yep. And that definitely was a, a mindset I developed through stunts. Mm. So you just mentioned extreme survival. So how do you even define what that even means? Because to me, I mean, just survival in our, in our eyes as two city boys is uh, extreme survival. I don't know, I don't know yeah. what's going like through my head. When so, you leave the esky behind, I don't know. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So uh, exactly right. extreme survival, what does that actually mean? And can you give us like, or give the listeners a bit of a perspective of understanding what that entails? Uh, I mean, for me, it's just going out with a knife instead of all the other equipment. Okay. You know, so. So totally self-reliant. Yeah. 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 So your basic needs are your food, fire, water, shelter in a survival situation. And, and, and I believe that, you know, with a blade, you can basically get by with, with all the others creating them out there. So hunting your own food and making your own shelter, creating fire by, you know, friction if you need to and, and sort of working along those lines but a, a knife being your main tool. So what's the longest period of time you've been out in this um, environment, this extreme survival environment? 21 days. Okay. Yeah. So that was um, 
basically, I don't know if you know the TV show Naked and Afraid. Yes. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to bring this up. So I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you're bringing this up now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was really the ultimate test, you yeah, know. Wow. And they're usually 21 days. So, Do you want to explain the Naked and Afraid, the, the actual show and the, I guess, what, what it is? Yeah, so... It's taken a while in Australia because I know when I say to people naked and afraid, they're like, oh, my gosh, that just sounds like some American crap there. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that that's a bit extreme. Um, But 10 years ago, Discovery gave me a phone call out of the blue and they're like, look, we're doing this new TV show. It's going to be the Everest of survival shows. And you're going to go out there and you're going to survive with nothing. And I was like, wow, intriguing. You know, like as a kid – when I would go to sleep at night, I'd be imagining like Swiss Family Robinson type things. Like, what would I do if I was on a deserted island? Like, how cool yeah. would that be? You know, so that was my fantasy as a kid was to actually be shipwrecked somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds strange. It's coming but, true. Right, right. Yeah. And then so Discovery was sort of offering me this opportunity to start from scratch, you know, but you have a bit of a safety net because you do have a camera crew there. Of course. And then they were like, stay with us though. It's called Naked and Afraid. And I was like, no, thank you. Like oh, I was God. in Byron Bay holidaying with the family at the time and I just remember being like click no thanks you know not my thing I'm not a nudist I don't do I'm not streaking through school it's not me (laughs) and then they called me back the next day and they said look it's all going to be pixelated this will be the like the biggest survival challenge that anyone's ever faced before on tv and for a show and You've got a man and a woman initially meet each other for the first time with no clothes, but you get to bring one item of choice with you. So in a survival scenario, it's not going to be shoes. You know, it's like you're looking at practical things like a blade, a fire starter, a pot, any of those things. So you end up with two items out there, two people, 21 days. And it's not a competition, like no one wins. You just either stay for the 21 days or you tap out at some stage. And you work together, you're on a team. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so that's the idea. But initially they would cast for drama. So they would just put two of the complete opposite Mm. people out there (laughs) and then just be like, Let's see what happens. I'm imagining, imagine if you both brought the same item. Wouldn't that be shit? Uh, like, well, <laughs> or someone really useless that has no <laughs> yeah. idea what they're doing. Well, see, there's that too. Okay. So, I <laughs> yeah. mean, people's idea of what a survival expert is is very loose as well. You know, I mean, uh, I know what I think someone should be able to do to survive, but you're not going to f- – like at that stage there wasn't a lot of people who – a, knew those sort of things and then B, would volunteer for a show like this. Yeah. So you don't bring the same item because you suggest four items to producers and then they choose one. Mm. So that's oh, – okay. Yeah, so you don't end up with two blades gotcha. out there or two of the same things. So um, you say what your four, four things are. But, yeah, so it, I thought about it a lot and I had a chat to my parents and because obviously – their daughter's going to be appearing naked on television. Mum cried and we (laughs) – and I decided to do it anyway. But, I mean, it was an exciting challenge. Yeah. And it was weird. You know, it really is. But, honestly, it's in its 10th season now of filming. It's the most popular show on Discovery and hundreds of episodes have been filmed And at the end of the day, it's an amazing look at what humans can can endure when they have to. 
Because everyone goes out there and they think it's produced. They think they're going to get food. They think they're going to water. That's what I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, no, nothing. Like, especially not in the early seasons. They just dropped us in there and just watched. Mm. And the camera crew don't talk to you. And, you know, you are just really in this situation. And, um, And I just think that... People either crumble or they achieve far more than they they even believe they're capable of. So it's it's interesting. Where, where does the camera? What do the camera crew do? Like, do they are they survival experts themselves, or do they just head off for the night? So see you later. Here's a couple of you know, wow. cameras or whatever. And, um, and, and yeah. were you in the Amazon too? I yeah. So so I did Louisiana swamps, my first one. Right. That that sounds lovely. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> like the ads were coming out for wow. it. I was the sixth episode, so the the final episode filmed in the first season and the ads were already coming out before I went in and people were go- like were in paradise like the Maldives and Panama oh. and white sandy beaches and swimming in aqua waters and catching fish. Yeah and I could survive out there easily oh, for three right. weeks. Yeah. Like coconuts and bananas and yeah. then they're like so we're sending you to the swamps. Oh my <laughs> god. Like, but and we got flooded out we had no dry land like the the mosquitoes were horrendous and people still to this day say it's one of the worst episodes they've ever seen in like the hundreds filmed so it was it was a bit of a thing that I I walked off of I'm like glad I've done that never have to do that again (laughs) but then they asked me again and I've done it a few more times since because I was definitely in the Amazon that was a, a new concept they filmed where they sent someone out alone you know, as I said, I, I like being alone. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, but not with all the snakes out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd seen a snake. It uh, would have been delicious. <laughs> <laughs> with the, um, because I don't know what would be, like they're, they're both hard on different levels, but the first part, knowing you're completely naked, yeah. like that, that's a challenge in itself. So yeah. maybe touch on what was harder, that, like the confronting manner of that, meeting someone you're completely nude or the fact that, I'm sure after a couple of days you start building this rapport and that 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 whole part of it, the nakedness probably goes out the window, I don't know, at that stage. It's like five seconds. Yeah. You know, you think it's a couple of days but we took our clothes off and stepped out of a canoe into waist-deep water in alligator mating season. Oh, So from the second you're waist-deep, you're not like, oh, my gosh, my boobs are showing. It's the last thing you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. like, our instruction was to walk like slide your feet slowly along the bottom and if you felt an alligator with your foot, like just slowly back away. So I'm like, yeah, you've just got so many greater things that you're worrying about. You're doing this while you're doing it. Like, no, I, mean, I, was, I was thinking before, I'm like, yeah, I would hate what I'd smell like and I'd probably my oh. facial hair would look gross after a few days. Oh. Quickly that becomes not an issue at all. I mean, you don't brush your teeth for 21 days. Oh. That yeah. would be the biggest challenge for me, I reckon. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But you're not really eating anything true, true. either. So, you know, I mean, you can chew on a bit of stick and use some charcoal. And, I mean, there's ways around it. But, mm. yeah, that first teeth rushing after 21 days, it's almost better than the shower. Oh, yeah. I bet. So, obviously, you've got a good relationship with Discovery. Outback Lockdown, talk to us a little bit about that to end up becoming a host. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, that was just one out of the blue. Um, I Lockdown happened. I was on my cousin's farm because I was like, well, if I'm going to lock down, I want to be on like 36,000 acres, right? (laughs) And um, never mind a little apartment building in Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, thanks for the dig. (laughs) 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 And and I just had happened to have a 
a production meeting scheduled with a company, Essential Media, I think it was at the time. And then um, I was late to the meeting because we were skinning a goat for dinner. <laughs> it's just a As a <laughs> Right. So I, um, I'm like rock up to the Zoom meeting. I'm covered in blood. blood. I'm just like, I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm like, I was just skinning a goat. And the company's like, oh, you were what? Oh, my and God. Like, yeah, That's you know, gold. You're like, we're just running out of dinner. And I just like, it, it just took me a second longer to gut and skin the goat. I'm, so, I'm really sorry. So where were we? And they're like, where are you? And I told them and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, riding out lockdown out here, you know, off the grid, off the land. And so... Three days later, there was a camera crew there and wow. just um, just to film it because, you know, a lot of people were having really awful, you know, lockdown experiences and they want to sort of share Australia and share, you know, a different type of experience with the world. And like it was a little – like there was a camera guy and an assistant and then I basically – produce most of it out there just saying oh today we're going to do this today like they just followed us around and it was only meant to hit australia and the next second it was like discovery north america south america netflix uk like 20 countries in asia and then yeah seven mate and an itv here it just went huge so it was it was fun i got to be myself for the Mm, first time and you know like on Naked and Afraid, they just want to make it seem miserable. Yeah. So you miss me being like, that's really cool. Like, yeah. oh my God, look at that. And, the, you know, the lightning's coming down and the rain's pouring down. And I'm like, who gets to do this? This is amazing, yeah. you know. So my natural personality is to joke around a lot and to have fun with it and to make the most out of the really awful situations. But they never show it. They sure. just they just get it when I'm thinking and they're like, Kai was miserable in the oh, swamps. Yeah. And I'm like thinking about like dinner. <laughs> Or something. Oh, you know, guys had a really bad day. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I liked that about our like, lockdown. You mentioned like the, um, I guess the those four or five key fundamentals when it comes to survival. Would you be open to sharing? Just say you get dropped off in a helicopter in the middle of the Amazon, and can you talk us through what are the th- throughout maybe th- that day? What are the the key? I don't know. Five most important things you know you need to do within that first day to. Survive. To, to, to survive, to get some sleep that night. What would you typically do? Yeah, I mean, uh, and it's interesting because they are there's the four basic survival needs and they're the things that you'll die if you don't get. So, you know, you've got food, water, shelter, and then fire or warmth, you know, like temperature control of mm. some sort. And they are your priorities. And it always interests me because people like – water's the main priority i'm like not if you're in a swamp you're not like you've Mm. got water so the first thing i do is just assess my situation that i'm in if i'm in a desert then you know maybe heat's not going to be an issue unless it's one of those deserts that gets freezing overnight you know so you can survive three hours in really extreme temperatures whether it's extreme cold or extreme heat so that's the first thing you look at you're like am i in an extremely cold environment am i in an extremely hot environment how am I going to get through the night? And you've only got, do you say only three hours? Yeah, in extreme wow. temperatures, yeah. So cool. like people say you can last three days without water, but if you're in a desert, you know, you are dysfunctional within about three hours, like in the extreme heat, mm. if you're not doing anything about it. And then extreme cold, you know, like if you are in minus 25 degrees, then three hours. Yeah, so that's sort of your first priority is like can I survive the night as far as temperature regulation Mm. goes? So I'm going to be looking at my shelter. Do I need a fire? Can I make a fire? And if I decide it's like 
the temperature is mild enough that I could probably get through the night. You know, my next priority in line water is three days, you know, but in a really hot place a day. So I'm looking at my water. Do I need to process it? Can I get access to it? You know, what's my situation there? And then once, so, so if I can end the day with fire, water and shelter, I've considered it a success. Mm. Um, and food is just a bonus. Yeah. See, it's interesting because I, I naturally, obviously with absolutely no ability to survive, but I would, I would just think food, water and like outside like predators, like uh, like like potential. You're looking at a man that is so terrified of spiders. It's not funny. <laughs> like, where, where's the closest spider? Yeah. Oh. But I'm thinking, like, imagine if you're somewhere where there could be bears or something like that. I'd be thinking, <laughs> like, oh, well, some of us have hiked in Canada. I've, I've hiked in Canada, and no, I was no. shooting myself with oh, bears. No, so, uh, absolutely. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. No, you're right. No, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. It yeah. is. That's just what comes to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So look. I mean, there are predators. For me, a predator is a hit or miss thing. Mm. You know, like what's the likelihood of it happening? Sure. So, you know, fire is going to keep most predators away. So if you can get a fire going, if you are in a place with predators, then that's good. You know, smoke, fire, generally they're not going to hunt you unless you have a candy bar in your pocket. You know, mm. it's mm. just like one of those things. It's like... When I'm in these situations, I don't have anything that they can't already get. So it's looking at it like that. Yeah, so in Australia, we're so fortunate. There mm. is nothing in the night that's going to kill you. you know? which, uh, which for our international audience, everybody says, that's, yeah. everyone looks at Australia and go, it's just full of dangers everywhere. But as you say, like, okay, I've got a snake, which if it hears me coming, it's going to get out of the way. Like there's science that Mm. proves that snakes generally only bite if pain is inflicted to them. Like if you stand on them, if you threaten them in some way. So bears, on the other (laughs) hand, teeth, claws, like they want that lolly in your pocket. You know what I mean? So for, for me, I've always laughed when people say, oh, you know, you've got all these really bad things in Australia. I'm like. Do you have bears? Yeah. <laughs> Mountain lions, you know. They scare the shit out of me, those bears, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever come face – what's the most scariest moment you've had with a predator face-to-face? Have you had one on any of your shows or, or just on your own through COVID? Did you have anything where you, you might have – a moment where you might have gone, shit, my life is in potentially in danger? See, I think this is where that screw's just a little bit loose in my head because I'm too busy being fascinated by yeah. the wildlife encounter, you know, like – I'm the one that's like trying to see if I can get just a little bit closer to have a look at that. <laughs> yeah. bit, Even if know? it was like a huge like bird eating <laughs> yeah. spider, you'd be going near it. Oh, hundred percent. Oh wow. Like that's like <laughs> that's amazing. Like who yeah. wants to see a bird eating yeah. spider? You know, and like I'm I'm always like I mean I'm you know I keep a safe distance. I'm very aware of animal body language. You know, like if I'm in a water and there's a shark in there, I'm like, this is really cool. But if the shark starts making erratic movements and starts puffing itself up, then I'm like, I'll probably get out, you know. Yeah. But there's not I don't have that fear response to it because I have just such a fascination with like with wildlife and how amazing it is. So I'm more likely going like this is gonna make a really cool story than going, oh my God, I gotta get out of here. So yeah, I mean there was a Jaguar on 
in the Amazon. So I was on a little island and my producer came up to me just before she left for the night, you know, because we are alone at night. And she said, oh, look, the locals have just told me they've seen a jaguar that's like swum to your island. So, yeah, okay, good night. (laughs) And I was just like, and I was like, oh, okay. And I just like I made sure I said to her, look, if I'm not here in the morning, like it's not your fault, you know, like I chose to be on this show and it's all cool. Holy shit. Wow. But like. Then in the middle of the night, it's like walking around my camp and it looks like I yell at it, but I don't. I'm just like quiet and curious, but I've got a fire. Like it's like, yeah. it's like I don't know. I'm kind of like, oh, is that the jacket? Yeah, you want to see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I know I, it's just the way my brain's just wired a bit differently, I think. With, in regards to food, it's, it's really interesting. Are you a believer in everyday life? Are you a believer in fasting? Like from what? You've said, twenty. was it 21? How many days without food can you go? 21 days. 21 days. Yeah. So do you typically, everyday life, do you eat three meals a day? Oh, hell yeah. You do? <laughs> okay. So there you go. But I think I've messed my body up a little okay. bit having done these shows because I do have a little bit of a like panic mechanism if I can get access to food I do and then I don't feed myself like my body starts going are you doing another one of these challenges like do we need to start thinking about like holding on to some of this food and but then like when I'm in the challenge my body doesn't get hungry at all Mm. you know like I've got this little switch in my brain that goes oh this is what we're doing now you know so I don't talk about food I don't think about food I don't worry about it I just get on with what I need to do mm. and I'm setting traps I'm fishing if I can I'm doing everything I can to get food but my body's expectation is that it won't happen so I just get on with it so you've sort of mentioned some of the key elements you should do if you're ever in one of these situations but say Dawson D like us too we get put out into the wilderness for a little while what are some <laughs> of the common errors people make that could literally be life or death that you see like you might hear a news story and you go well that was a simple error somebody made because they were naive the first thing that people don't do is prepare well enough you know if you decide to go out into the bush you gotta let someone know you know mm. and that itself would save mm-hmm. I don't know like a quarter of the people going out because they don't get missed until it's too late okay so you know, that's an important thing. The other thing is you should take more water than you need. Like quite often on hikes, I'm out for the, a day hike and someone's walking along on these like hot days and they they start to get stumbly and they haven't brought any water. So just bring more water. Yeah. But I guess another common mistake is to panic. And the first thing you should do is just stop. Like just take a second, assess the situation, you know, because most people's response is, is panic. And you, yeah. you just – that first decision you make can define the rest of your experience out there. So just take a second. Have a look at a, around you. Assess your situation before you start making decisions. Like, I, It's funny because I wrote this massive survival book and the beginning of the book I'm like, I cannot tell you what to do in your situation. Of course. But here's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Like it's <laughs> – but stopping and 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 assessing your situation is probably mm. the first thing. It makes me think, D, because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I have watched seasons in the past, but Survivor, right, the show Survivor, have you ever watched the show or even been contacted by the show? Because you, you could be a <laughs> producer on that thing. Or oh, here's an easy uh. 50 grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm like, I'm not very political. So you'll notice that it's not uh, always the person right. who's physical that survives. You know, as soon as – I mean, I haven't watched 
I've not watched a full season or anything, but I've seen little bits and pieces. And as soon as someone comes out as a strong physical contender, the rest of those ones that can't do anything are like, let's get rid of them. Exactly. Yeah. So I just think that um, I'd be voted off pretty quickly. But I get asked, I'd say every year or so, they come and they <laughs> ask and we get through to the interview stage yeah. and then they're like, ooh, like, because I hate bullying. I hate... I'm, I'm not very good at lying to people and I'm really good at surviving. So mm. I just think, like, they don't want someone like that out there. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, like, in all honesty, what do you think? How how much of it is surviving? Like, uh, Not much. I mean, you've got food. You've got yeah. stuff going on behind the scenes. And, yeah. you know, it is really just it's – it's a game show. You know what I mean? It is surviving for some people, you know, you, you don't have access to the same amount of food, you don't have access to the amenities, but I've never heard anybody say that they don't get to brush their teeth out there. True. Yeah. You know, like, that's a big deal. Mm. And you just know that these people who are doing the show, if they really didn't have access to things we don't see, they'd be like, mm, my teeth are nasty. Yeah. Like, mm. Fairy. You just yeah. don't see that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think it's amazing though. You yeah. know, like... Like, good on them. Like, they're pushing themselves Definitely. far beyond anything they've ever done. And, and that, in in some essence, is surviving. And then, you know, to go through that, the conniving social manipulations and <laughs> yeah. like that, to me, is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so, never mind the Jaguar. Just don't put me with people <laughs> oh, the, like that. The worst part of watching that show is the Tribal Council because you're watching mm. everyone sitting there about to vote and the debating and back and forth. That's more scary. Yeah. And, and I'd be like, he's going to put you out. Yeah, like, yeah. Just, you don't want to lie. No. Yeah. And I don't want to, like, to me, integrity and authenticity is really important, you mm. know, and I just I just don't know where I would, where I'd stand with that. Because, like, they did one where they put um, family out and my cousin whose farm I was on and I were, like, interviewed for that and they were just like, you know, would you stab your cousin in the back for, like, this amount of money? I'm like, for no money. Like for no money would I ever, throw, you know, if they said to me, you don't get a cent, you know, but your cousin will get it all, I would say give it to my cousin. You know, I just don't have that in me. Mm. Like money's money's, money's nice but it, it's not worth. Betrayal. Betrayal, yeah, compromising who you really are for, for me. Plus, if the whole money system fell down tomorrow and it was all about survival, you're going to survive. You're going to be the first one. And I'll be asking her for the help. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I've got the currency that <laughs> yeah, we might need. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm following, want to follow on from one of Josh's questions earlier. He mentioned he talked about fasting. So in your everyday life or in the everyday person's everyday life, is it important to put your body, do you think, under stress? So even in just things like cold showers, for yeah. example, are you a big believer in that kind of 100%. thing? hundred percent. We are too comfortable, you know, yeah. and, and so then – a little bit of discomfort is a huge stress. So the things that we can do in everyday life are the fasting, you know, like I believe it's good for some people for sure, you know, and I think it's a good thing to do, like get a little bit uncomfortable. Don't ha we, don't, we eat too much anyway, you know, we don't need those regular meals all the time. We don't need that amount on the plate, you know. So mm. even if you just let your body know what it's like, just to be under that little bit of stress is good. And I cold shower every day. Like I'm okay. a huge, like the Wim Hof stuff, you know, yeah. I do the ice plunges, I get Love in cold it. water. And that discomfort translates to everything in life because when stuff starts to get stressful, you can just go back on, oh, well, it feels stressful like that and I can do this, you know. Mm. So it relates to so many other aspects of life. But I think 
I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but if the grid goes down, our mm. biggest issue is we are too comfortable. Mm. Yeah. You know, we never put our body through physiological stresses that will enable us to deal with that. So the little things will become the really, really big things. And like for me, when I go on these survival challenges, I take out coffee, sugar, like any chemicals in my food. I People pack on weight, but I... I go like take my calories down. I do everything I can so that when I'm in that survival situation, I'm focused on survival. I'm not focused on the discomfort of anything else. Sure. Mm. So, like you know, I harden my feet. I get my calluses back up again. I do all those sorts of things so that the body's discomfort is secondary to survival. And I do really think that those are the little things that people can do in everyday society just to just to stay a little bit uncomfortable yeah. at times so our brain recognizes it's okay you know it's okay to be uncomfortable mm. yeah even from a mental health standpoint we were talking about it last night literally last night we were sitting on this couch and we were just saying if if you're someone who's feeling anxious if you go out and and sweat it up for half an hour or jump in a cold shower or Put your body through something that's going to push it to a, to a limit of some sorts. That anxiety or that worry tends to just go away in that moment because you're feeling so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after it, you feel amazing. Yeah. Like, is that something that you've noticed too? Yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, I I had um, Ross River, which is like a mosquito-borne virus. And um, I didn't know I had it, but I was feeling really anxious like it it brings on a lot of mental health things like you know suicidal thoughts like all of these things have been linked to Ross River and the only way I got through it was cold plunging so every morning I'd wake up and I'd get this overwhelming feeling of anxiety or like sadness or something and I would just ice bath for five minutes and it's now being scientifically proven that the hormones and stuff that that uncomfortable shock to the body releases increases all the good hormones in your body so it's not just a i feel better because i've done something it's there's a whole range of things that goes on in your body that really they're finding helps combat like depression and anxiety like yeah. it's, it's a huge thing we're a big well we we like Doc mentioned we have a great chat about it because it's interesting like a lot of society tells you that when you're feeling that way you know eat comfort food take a warm bath yeah Stay take a warm bed. bath like put watch binge netflix all day like do all these things where i'm a total believer in the opposite because i've just noticed in myself best thing i can always do is go for a run as much as i don't want to just get the body moving and i feel you know a million times better so it's just but it's hard because you can't necessarily say these things without sounding like you're not empathetic or that makes sense yeah of course i mean there's definitely an acknowledgement of a process that's going on for someone Mm. you know like you can't be like you just just cold shower it yeah, off, you know yeah. but <laughs> these are things that can help you Absolutely. know and have helped a lot of people and for me as well like it's not just on this physiological level of all the chemicals and stuff like for me it's like I've achieved something mm. you know so sometimes the anxiety can come from a feeling of hopelessness or helplessness or the you know the sad thoughts are because you feel like nothing's going right and you know a five minute or two minute cold shower you have done something that you don't want to do that's for the betterment of yourself and so you could just go tick and even just the feeling of having forced yourself to take yeah, the run. control overcoming right. all that stuff yeah, yeah you've achieved something and it and it yeah it's quite simple and it's interesting because 
Like I just did a, a recent Naked and Afraid that was a frozen one, right? So I was going into minus 19 degrees. Oh my God. Where was that? Uh, Montana in winter. Oh, okay. And I was the underdog because I was coming from Australian summers. Mm. But I was on my cousin's farm helping out with the shearing season because I do like to do that. And it was like <laughs> 43 degrees there. Oh. And, and everyone was just like, how are you going to go from hot to cold? But it's really hot is as uncomfortable as really cold. So it's yeah. just like this, what I was doing to combat being really hot in my mind was the same thing that I used to combat really cold. So like it's transferable anywhere. What, what do you prefer? Oh, I was, hot or I was cold? just, just going to ask that. Oh. I don't, there's so many, it's such a hard question. <laughs> like I, I hate the hot, like extreme hot. I just don't like it. I'm one of those grumpy buggers that like as soon as it gets over 40 degrees, I'm just, you don't want to talk to me. But then when it's cold, <laughs> I don't know. What what do you prefer? Uh, but minus nineteen. Yeah, I that's think the ridiculous. coldest I've ever been is minus thirteen, I think. So you know, it's freezing. all cold after about minus that's five. True. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, mean, I think I, I pref- I'd normally prefer the cold over the heat. So yeah. What about you, Kai? I like the heat. You like do the you? heat? I like, yeah. yeah. I mean well, especially I mean, especially if you're gonna be on naked and afraid, you'd probably prefer the heat. Yeah. yeah. I, Get I, a nice tan. Right. I've <laughs> never had a hot naked and afraid. You know, I've oh. always been in those ones where it's like it was the coldest me on record. <laughs> Ooh, I, was, I was gonna ask that because what about sunburn and stuff? Like You know, I I've never had that issue. You really? Know? Um the shark one was probably the warmest it's been for me, but um there was you know, shady trees that you just sort okay. of hung out in all day or swim in the water. But yep. um and I went in from our summer, so I had a good base tan. Mm. Um, that's another one of my prep things <laughs> yeah. that I like to do, just make sure I don't have anywhere that could get too burnt. But, yeah, the other ones were just cold. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you want to move on to the uh, the stunt? Let's do the it. Double stuff, because I'm very interested in this. So give the listeners a bit of a background, because you've legitimately been in some of the biggest movies in the world. Almost everyone listening would have would have seen you, little do they know. So tell us a little bit about that side of your career. I guess I was an outdoor guide and I decided I wanted to try something a little bit different. I wanted to sleep in my own bed at night, but I wanted to have a career that was active and that pushed myself physically every day. And I was like, somebody suggested stunts and I thought (laughs) I would give it a go. But honestly, I didn't know what it was. Like I'd never even, I wasn't a person that watched too much TV. So I didn't know that the actors weren't doing those things. (laughs) I hadn't even really thought about it. It didn't cross my mind. But then I was like, huh, so you get paid to dress up, like, because I was always playing superheroes as a kid, you know, I was always like, me and my cousins are always dressing up. So who, I was like, who was your go to? Oh, I mean, Batgirl, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. It, like, my cousin would be Batman, my little cousin would be Batboy, and I'd be Batgirl, you know, just sort of. <laughs> but. Just any of them, really. I was like, you know, they, we did the whole green lantern, pink lantern, yellow yeah. lantern. <laughs> we, yeah. we went all over the place. So I loved that. And. And then I just wanted to push myself, you know, I just wanted to see what this body was really capable of. And I thought being an outdoor guide, I'm like, I'll do all the rock climbing movies and all the abseiling. And that doesn't happen in movies very often. Like I think in 16 years, I abseiled twice. So I had no transferable skills or anything like that. But I went over to Vancouver and I learned to fight. That sort of became... Like MMA. Oh, uh, like there was a, a stunt training academy okay. and um, the guy who became my mentor there he was kickboxing and taekwondo instructor and so I didn't get any belts but that was sort of my base was kickboxing gotcha. and then um they loved women having taekwondo because of the big kicks through screen and stuff like that so 
did a bit of that. We- a lot of weapons. Like I loved weapons, like <laughs> yeah. swords and just felt so natural in my hand for some reason. I love the feel of it and just went from there. From your point of view then, how do you get into a movie? I don't know. Does it start off small? And I'd, we'd love you to maybe share some of the, the biggest movies or any movies that you've enjoyed the most. But how do you... How do you get a job as a stunt woman on a movie? Yeah, see, it's really hard. Yeah. So quite often I'll have people hit me up and they're, I want to be a stunt woman and I like stunt man, stunt woman. And I have a list of things and I'll send them this like, so you want to be a stunt woman, word doc. And I never hear back from any of them. You know, like it is, it's not as easy as I want to be one. And so let's go. Usually it takes three to five years of busting your butt to literally (laughs) to get to the stage where someone's going to trust you to do that role and so people complain about the nepotism of the film industry particularly the stunt industry but at the end of the day like millions of dollars can be involved in one shot you know and your life can be on the line like yeah you you are doing the things that are too dangerous for the actors to do so there are positions that you have to get into and where if you're out by an inch you know like you could end up in hospital and so people just want people they can trust to do those shots um so that takes a while to build that trust um i would put together demo reels so i'll just put together like show what i could do and in australia they actually have a really good process where you have to pass grading systems Mm. it's not like that in america but you have to reach a certain grade in in a martial art, in horse riding, in gymnastics, in this and that and do these courses to get into stunts, which I think is a great idea because you end up with only good people on set. But, yeah, and then you just – I went about – I was an extra on TV shows and movies. So I had an extras casting agent and they call up and be like, hey, can you wear pink and be in the background of this shot tomorrow? And so I'd be the ones that are like, you know, eating the food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All that fake conversation. Yeah, the fake chat. (laughs) I always wonder that. I'm like, gee, that must be awkward. Oh, it is. It's so awkward. And I I love watching background performance (laughs) now because like an explosion will happen and they're so busy pretending to talk that they don't even like, there's not even a lie. It's just sort of my funnest thing things to watch them but because I used to be one yeah and then you get no one so like I would give my headshot and resume to the stunt coordinator and be like hey I've been training with this and can you you know and you just sort of build up a network of people who've seen that you can maybe do stuff on a, a demo and then eventually like for me my headshot got put in front of a director of a TV show called Dead Like Me he was looking for a bride for someone to fall on top of and kill and and he liked my look. So that was sort of my first break was that. Mm. And then um, it's your height and your skill set and how much you look like an actress really. So my next jobs were all sort of fighting because I was the only five foot eight girl in Vancouver at the time that really focused on martial arts. Yeah, so okay. I got to fight Kevin Sorbo, who was Hercules <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> on my on my like second movie, like second TV thing ever. Wow. Was, That's insane. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then um, like close after that, um, Sharon Stone on Catwoman needed yeah. a stunt double, a second unit one. And I just got onto that, which was great. Yeah, so wow. like you just mentioned Sharon Stone and obviously there's Anne Hathaway and Jennifer Garner and all these other like big Hollywood names. Do you build any kind of relationship with them and do they end up saying like this is the person that I want to work with in future or do you have any relationship there or is it all just with directors? You know, it's that's the goal and okay. 
depending on the star, they do have some kind of clout. Like you sure. can get written into someone's contract. You know, the thing, Jennifer Garner, she was so lovely. And like my first, she'd heard that there was someone called Kai who was doing her stunts. And my first interaction with her, she's like, oh my gosh, you're Kai. And I was like, <laughs> so amazing to finally meet you. Wow. And I'm like... Jennifer Garner thinks it's amazing to <laughs> yeah. meet me. You know, like, so they are lovely, but she had a her usual double that worked with her on Alias and stuff. Okay. So I was just sort of a second, a backup there that mm. um, was doing a lot of the rehearsals and things. And then um, Jamie Alexander, I worked with her for 10 years. So she was probably the main one that I sort of followed through her career. Yeah. She was Lady Sif on Thor. Yep. And we did an Anna Schwarzenegger movie together, which was pretty <laughs> cool. And wow. um, ended up on Blind Spot, which was a, a TV show on NBC. So did a did a fair bit with her. And I mean other girls would request me when they came to town and did little bits and pieces here, you know. So there's some I worked regularly for and others were just bits and pieces here and there. Do you look back at like some of those films and just kind of pinch yourself still and, and kind of can't believe that you you were in those? Yeah, I mean, it feels like someone else's life. You yeah. Know? Like it feels like I've watched a movie about a girl who did stunts in those movies, you know? Yeah. Like a, For example, X-Men, I'm just like, that's a huge movie. Yeah. Like, and I mean, Hugh Jackman and I, like I spent maybe two months working on that. Yeah. And my, I got to fight Hugh Jackman, right? But it didn't make it into the um, actual fight scene itself. So I had this big moment and we oh spent no. like weeks filming it, you know, like I had to jump on his back at one stage <laughs> and they did all these close-ups of me biting his neck and it was like... <laughs> wow. All, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not bad on the resume. <laughs> I know. But then, you know, and I go to the movie and I'm watching and like the scene goes by and I'm like, oh... Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's just so sad. Uh, but what that, was he like? He was so lovely. Yeah. You know, so. You only hear that about him, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he knew all the stunt performers' names. And, like, on that scene that I did with him, we started off with about 10 of us, but built up to about 60 and then went back down to 10 over the series of the of the sequence. And he would just know everybody. So nice to everyone. And then I was often put in charge of his safety, you know, like he's on lines and stuff and I would just hold them and chat to him And because I was Australian. So the staff yeah. coordinator was like, go and talk to Hugh and like <laughs> just chat to him and, you know, had great conversations yeah. with him. And then at the end I was busy on his last day on set and he got wrapped and he was saying goodbye to everyone and I just hear him go like, where's Kai? <laughs> Kai! And I like... Wow. You're like, you just... Had, like I just stopped what I was doing to come over and say goodbye to him, you know, like just such a sweetheart. Wow. So, Genuine. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I just loved being there. Yeah. You know, like you hear all these horror stories about actors and how awful they are to work with and that's true with some but... You know, like people like him and Chris Hemsworth and like Sir Anthony Hopkins, amazing human, just done millions of movies. Was he Hannibal Lecter? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I think of when I hear that name. Yeah, so he was also <laughs> Odin uh, uh, on Thor, right? Mm. And so he's got this scene where he's sitting on a horse and the horse is rearing and he's like telling Chris off and, and it's a fake horse but we're all there like making sure he doesn't fall off his fake horse. <laughs> and he was like, isn't this fun? This is just a fun day, isn't it? You know, he's just like, you're a sir because of your mm. acting ability and you're sitting on a horse pretending to be Odin and you're super stoked. Like it 
was yeah. awesome. Because I wasn't sure if it was separate filming in terms of doing the stunts, like if that's prior to the movie or after the, the dialogue's done or anything like that. So it's all done around the same time. Everyone works together. Yeah, so there's two units on those big action movies. Mm-hmm. So you'll often hear second unit director. So you've got the main unit, which is usually most of the acting or is working with the actors. And then the second unit is usually stunts. Okay. Um, stunts or action. And so there's definitely crossovers. Like, you know, if Chris is doing a fight sequence, they'll have his double there on main unit. But if Chris is busy and they're just filming a big wide of the sequence, it'll be all stunt doubles and we'll do it on second unit. Gotcha. Ever had a day or multiple days when you just, you wake up the next day and your body's just absolutely so sore that you can't get out of bed or anything like that? For like 16 years. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure. Every day. <laughs> yeah. I think I had whiplash for about four years there. Uh, you know, yeah. like, like we've like, women have little necks, right? We're not mm. really – so anytime we do any of these big like, yeah. you know, you just – yeah, I, I swear I like, I don't know, probably a couple of years after retiring from stunts, I got out of bed one day and I was like, oh. Man, is that what it feels like to not hurt? <laughs> yeah. What is what is probably the the craziest maybe stunt you ever did or, or something where really it, it was it was costly in terms of your body and do you still take that toll on now? Well, diet and cold plunges for I swear it's kept me going. You know, like mm. sixteen years in stunts, I should be smashed. Mm. And I don't I don't have arthritis i've broken lots of bones i've torn things off i've had my hamstring screwed back on again you know i mean it and i I have nothing you know like i smashed this shoulder out of place smashed a big chip out of it did did the same stunt six more times on that shoulder like i shouldn't be able to move but like a healthy i don't know healthy living plus cold plunges and diet i'm like 100 fine i'm like anyone keep up with me but says a lot yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's incredible the condition you're in. Like after doing 16 years of, of that, like the fact you're not walking around with a screwing knee and hip and or in a wheelchair, right. <laughs> wheelchair. Yeah, right. Um, and I like apparently I've got no cartilage left in either knee, but I never have knee issues. Weird. Like it's it's just I don't know. And I do think it is the lifestyle thing, but yeah, it's um, you know, I've got a reputation as being a person who could take a hard hit too and get back up again and that's really not the reputation you want in the stunt industry so oh, wow. I'm like oh. like so there's stunts where people are sitting at a table and a car sort of drives crazy past and you see people get up and go oh like oh that's a stunt oh yeah 100 percent. if you've got a car out of control in a street yeah every person on that street near that is a stunt performer you know um, oh right okay. yeah and if you've got someone crashing through a building and and there's people dodging out of the way of debris stunts. You know, yeah. like the stuff is like so much stuff is. It's stunts not just there. you know jumping off buildings and smashing through glass. Yeah, yeah, because I thought there might just be let's say less than five because of all the lead characters, but obviously there could be more than that on the set. Oh, you know, like those big movies, you've got you can have a hundred people there at once. Wow. you know, then they're all stunt performers. It's you know if if there is a a fraction of a chance of anyone getting hurt, they have to be a stunt performer. So even if there's debris flying mm. 10 metres away and there's no way that anyone's going to get hit, it will be a stunt performer in between. Right. So 
those stunts never went to me. I was the one smashing through the glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was the one being hit by the car that was like driving crazy down oh the street. You're not watching the car, like, you're getting hit by it. Yeah. yeah. Like even to the point, like one stunt day I had, like on the script, the character I was doubling just ducks out of the way of this, like this arm of something that sweeps across and knocks someone off a ship and into the water. And by the time I get to set, they've rewritten it and I'm the bloody character getting knocked off the <laughs> ship. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like the one day I could have had it. <laughs> it's just like... That's crazy. So, yeah, so I think I'm really fortunate to, you know, to have recovered the way I have for sure. I have to ask, in that list of movies when we were looking at it, one of my favourite movies is White Chicks. Oh, really? I love White Chicks. <laughs> yeah, so where were you in that movie? Oh, <laughs> uh, I was doubling one of the three socialite girls. Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, so. I um, thought that. Yeah. yeah, so she was the one that ended up being on Dexter. I okay. can't remember her name, but she, she was sort of, yeah, one of those girls. Like, And then I was also in the crowd at the thing where all the girls slipped off the uh, runway. The fashion show. Yeah, yeah the yeah. fashion show where they yeah. I know, I know what Dustin's watching tonight with the <laughs> yeah, I'll, be, I'll be trying to find you. I love that movie. Yeah, that one and Snakes on a Plane are two that oh, like, yeah. people sort of go, I love Snakes on a Plane. I'm like, yeah, I was on that one. Yeah, I remember seeing that in movies. Well, for anybody listening, they should literally go to your Wikipedia and just look up the list of movies because it's incredible. Like the movies are just huge. Like and there was Scooby Doo in there too. That Great movie. Caught our yeah. eye as well, and uh, some good. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. You've you're an author, four time author. Is that correct? Or is it even more now? Five. I think it's five. Five. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> five. They just keep coming out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about the books and and the reason you wrote them and. What well, about. I wrote my first one in 2012 and really, I don't know, I, I saw a cartoon that suggested women weren't very good at survival and that the first thing they should do is go to the nearest man and I, I <laughs> sort of got a bit like indignant about it all and, and sat down and wrote this book in eight days and then um, just about how survival attitudes get you through everyday life and how women like just have an amazing attitude when it comes to really extreme situations. And you know what, I think, everybody can have the potential to have an amazing attitude. So I'm not saying these are definitely just female traits, but I just wanted to acknowledge women. It's called Girls' Own Survival Guide and um, Penguin picked it up and published it. Yeah. (laughs) Not bad, straight up. Yeah, (laughs) Penguin. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of helped that at the moment I was looking for a publisher, I won the World Tourist Stunt Award for being the best female stunt performer in the world at that year. So... I think it was more of a like, ooh, like off the back of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Girls' Own Survival Guide. And then I didn't really think much about writing. And then I think it was probably two years ago now I got a message through Insta from a publishing company looking to put out the Ultimate Survival Guide. And I sort of was like, huh, like that's really intimidating out of everyone in the world, you want me to write this, you know? Mm. And so I had a meeting with them and I had to really think about it because like, you're, I'm just suddenly opening myself up to a lot of scrutiny. I have a different view on survival than a lot of people. I think anyone can do it. You know, it's not an elitist game. I think you can know nothing about the outdoors and you can still survive with the right mindset. So I sort of thought about it. I thought if I don't do it, who's going to do it? It's probably 
you know, some old dude's going to write it again and he's <laughs> going to make everyone feel that you can only survive if you have the skill proper skill set. You know, and a lot of these um, older survival guides, they also rely on really outdated information and no one's tested it. And I'm like, huh, like I've tested all of this stuff and I've put my life on the line for it and I've done it in the freezing cold and I've done it in the boiling hot and jungles and beaches and swamps and every environment you could possibly test any of this stuff out on, I've done it. Yeah. So if I don't write it, people are going to be given a lot of misinformation again. I know this is probably not going to mean anything, but if you Google a deadfall trap, they say it's the best trap for a jungle environment and it's not. It's like the worst trap you okay. could ever – like because it relies on a really heavy weight falling on something but jungle ground is usually smushy so the thing's going to get away and you don't really have a lot of heavy stuff in jungles that will smush. So, yeah, so I just was – I just astounded by the amount of misinformation that people say with authority and then people put their life on the line for mm. it. You know, like this whole thing about drinking your own pee – like, yeah, oh. tell us about that because that's really – I'm really interested in that. Yeah. And every now and then someone will survive and they'll go, I did it because I drank my own pee. And I'm like, you did it regardless of the fact you drank your own pee because scientifically that does not make sense. You know, like you're, it's a waste product that your body said we don't need these and so it's kind of toxic. So then when you reintroduce it to your body, your kidneys have to work like three times Even as harder. hard to then process it. So you're basically shutting down your kidneys by reintroducing that urine to your body. It's the first thing people are going to do in a survival situation. So I'm like, don't drink your own pee. Like, yeah, wow. Just don't unless you're hydrated, right? But if you're hydrated, you're not going to want to drink You don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So I don't know. I, yeah. So people are still going to drink their own pee and some of them will survive <laughs> and some of them it will kill them quicker. But at the end of the day, don't drink your own pee. What about in terms of education? In like, I, I remember doing outdoor ed in school. Do you see that still being a bit behind in terms of there's survival but then there's outdoor education? That They are two different things. But I'm sure there are parts of outdoor education that you might look at and go, that's outdated. Yeah, outdoor education is an interesting one because okay. I feel like it's becoming so regulated now that it's probably detrimental due to the fact that it's so regulated. So I don't know, maybe I like liked it when there were sort of the cowboys in the in the education <laughs> department going yeah. like, yeah, just kayak across that lake, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think <laughs> like because now it has to be ticked off, ticked off, ticked yeah, off. Yeah, and. The outdoors is an amazing medium for kids. You know, like it develops so many personality traits that can be used really positively moving forward in life. You know, like you learn persistence, perseverance, problem solving, to be a little bit uncomfortable. You learn that you're capable of far more than you ever believe that you're possible. Kids spend a week with me and they walk out changed. Of course, you yeah. Know, and they move through life with this bar that's up here instead of down here now. And everything they do, they go, shit, can I swear on Of that? course, yeah. yeah they yeah. go like, shit, I did that, I can do this, you know, and – so the outdoors are so powerful and now we're in this situation where we're like, oh, don't do that. Oh, that's really scary. Oh, have we done the risk management assessment for mm. this? You know, and so the experiences are far more diluted. But it's sort of coming round again. Like I'm doing this amazing program with a school in Sydney where we put year nine girls out for 24 hours on their own. 
Wow. And they just go out with a tent, their little bit of food and a cooking stove and spend 24 hours on a solo. And That's great. it is amazing. Yeah. Like, and I love the guy that I work with for that because I think he's breaking ground there. Like it's mm. it's really going back to these, you know, and, and a lot of schools are like, oh, that's really risky. But it's not. We've made it super safe but the kids don't know that. There's perceived risk so it allows them to still have this growth. So It's really important because like, I've been thinking about when we were growing up and like as kids, like I <laughs> think about even just my backyard, if I picture it in my backyard, I'm like if you look at risk management, <laughs> there was just danger everywhere. We had this, right. tr- this trampoline that had like no foam around it. like Springs you missing. Springs missing. You'd smack your head. And, like, right. And Who it, hasn't fallen down the springs? Uh, no. <laughs> but, like, and, like, I remember every single – as a kid, like I just always had cuts on my legs, cuts yeah. on my hands. Cut, and like now it's like it's so taboo to have like to let your kids play. In, right. They've kind. all got those like things up around yeah, the, the trampoline so that you can't fall off it. Yeah. So I actually remember at my grandparents' house, like they, we wanted to build a cubby. You mentioned cubbies at the start and we were so set on sleeping in it. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, you can sleep in it. But they knew full well that we'd get halfway through <laughs> yeah. the night and come inside. Yeah. Like, and we learned the lesson. Like, right. you know, it's interesting. Well, I mean, I have a lot of conversations these days about fear as well. Like why are we so fearful yeah. of everything and like how kids are, are anxious about everything. And like we learned – we learnt by pushing those fears, you know, and like we'd get our little bike up to the ramp that we built and we'd like build the ramp this high. And that's right. Oh, I've nailed it. Build it this high, build it there. And then you'd fall off and you go, okay, we'll go back down to here. Yeah, that's it. Like you learn how to risk manage and you learn how to face your fears and you move through life through the, through the mistakes you made. And I think like not allowing – not allowing our children to make mistakes is a, a is a really big mistake. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm a big believer in that. Uh, maybe one final question. This is going to be very generic, but you mentioned the word fear. Like, is there anything that scares you? Is there a fear in, inside of you? I'm sure there's. There's probably not. But is there something that you're scared of? I know it's going to sound so cliche, but I really do fear not making the most of every day. There's this Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. And it's a curse, you know, because they don't want to live in interesting times. They want Mm. everything to go smoothly. And to me, that would be a blessing, you know, to always have interesting times. And and my biggest fear is, I don't regret anything, you know, but my biggest fear would be to get to the end of my life and regret something, honestly. So people sort of say to me, like, you've done so much and how do you, you know, you would, you still do so much. And I'm like, yeah, because like, I don't want to regret anything. You know, I want to say yes more than I want to say no. And the biggest fear would be getting to the end of the life and thinking that I hadn't done something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think you have that problem. I know that's, <laughs> that, well, I know that's your biggest fear too. That is my biggest fear. hundred percent is my biggest fear. But, uh, well, Kai obviously was part of the movie 2012. And, uh, if, if we, if we end up in a situation like that, I know who I'm calling straight away. Um, but before you and a lot of other people, I'm going to open up like a big bit. We're going to yeah. fill that 36,000. Uh, maybe I should make a program. We'll buy it. Yeah. yeah. How to survive an apocalypse. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, can you give the listeners a bit of a sh- yourself a bit of a shout out? How do we watch your stuff? How do we buy your books? And how do we follow you? I mean, you can buy my books anywhere online, like all the online stores. Um, if you want Girls Own, that's just through my own website. If you want a signed copy, you can go to kaifreno.com. Easy first name, K-Y, and a really hard last name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the spelling in the title. They'll be able to follow that. Yeah. And the same with all my media. Like I'm on Instagram, Facebook, 
Twitter. So, perfect. you know, anyone can jump on and see what crazy adventures I'm up to. I'm always testing survival theories and pushing my boundaries and um, working to hopefully sort of make the world a little bit of a better place as we move forward. Oh, we and love Discovery it. as well? Can we watch? Yeah, so Discovery, I think. Uh, Foxtel has the okay. Naked and Afraid. So I think you can find some on Netflix. Outback Lockdown is on SBS On Demand. Oh, great. Yeah, so Easy. I mean, I kind of lose track, but of there's course. a few <laughs> things around there. It's gone yeah. all, around, all around the world, so. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I think the Naked and Afraid Frozen is coming out in June this year. So it aired in America last year, but it's hitting Australia, I think, in our winter. Okay, perfect just, timing. Yeah, yeah, that's just an interesting... Look, I mean, I do. I'm having such a good time out there that they don't really focus on me. There's a lot of other people out there, but you can have a look at what human beings are capable of in the freezing cold with a little bit of fur to keep them warm. Oh, wow. Looking forward to that. Me well, too. Well, Kai, thanks so much for coming. We, we've absolutely. I'm blown away. I just yeah. loved it. I'm so excited to edit this up and share it with everyone because it was unbelievable. So thanks so much for making the effort. You're welcome. It's been great chatting with you too. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at DawsonD underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.